prepare our hearts for the word. Our very own Pastor Jason Jackson tonight is coming to deliver the word of the Lord. So be blessed, friends. Grace and peace. Good evening, everyone. How are you tonight? Good to see you here in the room. And those of you who are watching online, Facebook, YouTube, or watching at downtownlife.org, thanks for joining us. And again, a very special Father's Day to all the dads here and the dads watching online or the dads watching later because you're still on the golf course uh, or wherever else you might be. Maybe a little too dark for that. I don't know. I gave up golfing for Lent. Um, Good to see you guys tonight. I want to ask a question as we begin of just thinking about when you find yourself in a situation when you don't know what to do. When you're in that moment in life where you're facing something that you've got to decide, you, make, you have to make a decision, you have to determine what the best route is to take. When you find yourself in a moment where you need wisdom, who do you turn to? Where do you turn in those moments? For some, it may be that the person you think of is your dad. You might think about your dad or maybe your mom. Maybe you think about a counselor or a mentor or a friend. Who is it that you think of when you need wisdom? Who do you turn to? When I was a kid and I came across those situations in life, I would frequently turn to the wisest person I knew, which was Yoda. In fact, I had a Yoda magic eight ball. Uh, that if you know what a magic eight ball is, it's one of these things that you shake up and then you turn it over and then it tells you like words of advice, like what you should do in a situation. So as an elementary school kid in the 80s, Yoda was like my go-to magic eight ball when I needed profound wisdom for a situation, which usually included things like career advice, you know, it was the 80s, so I would ask things like, will I be bigger than Bon Jovi? And then I'd, you know, shake it up, turn Yoda over, and he'd say things like, doubtful it is. Just real profound, nice things for Yoda to say. Or it was elementary school and I wanted to know if Brie Peterson liked me or not. And so I would shake the magic eight ball up, turn Yoda over, and he would be like, certain I am not. And for some reason, all of Yoda's advice to me was negative, uh, but I think that probably saved me quite a bit of awkward or more awkward situations that I had in elementary school and middle school than if I hadn't had Yoda by my side. Well, tonight we're continuing our series called Walk This Way. It's a series where we're walking through the book of James. And some of you might know that James, according to history, was the half-brother of Jesus. And James became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And 
when he was the leader of the church in Jerusalem, the church was actually going through an incredibly difficult time. They were facing all kinds of persecution. They were dealing with poverty. And there were a lot of divisions that were coming up inside of the church. And James's letter really seems to be this collection of James's best advice, James' wisdom on how it is that we live. What does the good life look like? How do we live? How do we walk in the way of Jesus during difficult times? And I don't know about you, but I think it's clear to all of us at this point that we need wisdom, <laughs> that we're walking through some unprecedented times in our lives, and we find ourselves going, what do we do? We're continuing to navigate the ongoing sort of challenges and confusion and questions and what's next as it relates to the COVID-19 pandemic and seeing how that impacts every area of our life. We're now entering into another round of political season and a presidential election coming up and all of the ads, the things are starting to come across every social media feed and everywhere we turn, there's more conversations about politics. And in the middle of all of that, we've got ongoing racial tension in our country and asking ourselves, well, what do we do? What's the right thing? How do we figure out what to do here? What do we say? What do we not say? How do we respond? And we find ourselves in a place so desperately needing wisdom. But what does wisdom actually look like? What does it look like? How do we know when we find it? Because there is a lot of information out there. There is a lot of advice. There is a lot of opinions. And you can go from one website to the next or one book to the next or one news station to the next and hear competing and polarizing perspectives on every issue imaginable. <laughs> so what does wisdom look like? How do we know when we find it? What is it that we're actually looking for in the middle of these conversations. And James, all throughout his book, gives us hints, gives us a picture of what this looks like. And we're going to pick up today in James chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. So if you have Bibles, you can turn there, or you can follow along on your screen. And this is what James says. He says, are any of you wise and understanding? To which I always want to answer, no. Like, it's like, I don't feel that way, James. He says, show that your actions are good with a humble lifestyle that comes from wisdom. However, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, then stop bragging and living in ways that deny the truth. Verse 15, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above. Instead, it is from the earth. It's natural. And he says, it's even demonic, which is not a word that we're necessarily always comfortable with in thinking about where advice may come from. So here, James, as he's talking about wisdom, he actually contrasts two types. He says there are two types of wisdom that we can look for. There's a wisdom that comes from above, or there's wisdom from below. And he says these two perspectives are actually competing and incompatible with one another. They actually stand in opposition to one another. They have different means and they lead to different ends. He says there's a view of the good life whose origins are earthly. They're sort of bound to this broken world. 
It's an idea of how do we just sort of get by? How do we succeed? How do we make it in the midst of this life? And in many ways that this view of the good life excludes God. It lacks the sort of animating presence of God's spirit. He says it's even abetted by dark forces. That this is one path of wisdom. He says, but there's another version of the good life whose origins are divine. It comes, and comes from above and actually belongs to the world to come. Belongs to the world that God is creating in Christ Jesus. It honors God. It's animated by the Holy Spirit. These two are different paths. They have different results. They lead to different fruit. Just to continue the Star Wars theme, this is like the light side and the dark side of the force. And if you haven't seen Star Wars movies by now, I'm done with the references. Okay, that was it. That was the last two uh, for the entire night. But they're the polar opposite of one another. He goes on and he says this then. He says, are any of you wise, just to go back and see specifically what he says here. Are any of you wise in understanding? Show that your actions are good with a humble lifestyle that comes from wisdom. But if you have, a, if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not be boastful or be false to the truth. The actual original sort of sense there is that these acts are done with humility that's born of wisdom. Humility that's born of wisdom. The first thing that James tells us, he says, when you're looking to know what wisdom looks like, wisdom from the world to come, wisdom that God wants to give us, if you want to know what that wisdom looks like, wisdom from this world will actually breed rivalry. But wisdom from the world to come will breed humility in us. That wisdom from this world will breed, will breed rivalry, but wisdom from the world to come will breed humility inside of us. See, wisdom for this world is actually really impressed with our own ideas and our own opinions. It says, you know what, I've got this. I know all that I need to know. I know the right thing to do in every situation. I've got this. I don't really need anything else. And to prove it, I actually really am impressed with all of the opinions of everyone who agrees with me. That me and this group of people, we've got it all figured out. We don't need any help from anyone. We've got this. We have the corner of the market on all things that are wise. And what it tends to do then is that kind of wisdom, that approach, begins to isolate and insulate. Like, oh, I don't really need to hear another perspective. In fact, I need to protect myself from that. I need to protect myself from anyone who might have an opposing idea. I need to protect myself from someone who might think differently than I do in the middle of this situation. And it can go so far as to respond to everyone who's outside of the tightly drawn circle in a very combative way and even villainize those with difference of, differences of opinion. It's bitter, it's selfish, it's envious. It seeks more for ourselves even if that means less for others. It's like, I just need to promote my ideas and my ways and my perspective, even if that means tearing others down. It fights for what's ours, even if that means others lose what's theirs. This is what wisdom from this world looks like. It wants to win more than it actually wants to be wise. It cares about winning. I just want to win. 
according to my definition of winning, this is what that looks like. And what that inevitably does is it silences others and excludes them from fellowship. It actually destroys diversity inside of communities. And in the church, it destroys our witness to what it is that God wants to do in bringing all people together in Christ. It says, no, 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 unless we all are exactly thinking the same thing about every single issue, then we can't be in fellowship with one another. But that's not the church. That's not what we're called to be. But wisdom from the world to come leaves us very much less impressed with ourselves. <laughs> it reminds us that, wait a minute, there is a God and we're not him. <laughs> that we actually need help, that we actually need other people, that we actually need to have and consider opinions that are different than ours. Wisdom from the world to come is willing to listen and willing to learn. It allows for different perspectives without those having to turn into some sort of mud fight. It's open and it's curious. Tell me more about that. Tell me why you think that way. Tell me why you feel so passionate about that. Tell me what's going on that makes you kind of think along those ways. What experiences have you had in life? What have you learned that maybe I haven't learned? Let me then share you where, where I'm coming from. Let's have a conversation about this. Wisdom from the world to come seeks what's best for others. It's willing to relinquish our tight grip on our personal interests and opinions, to hold them more loosely and invites other voices. And it ultimately promotes unity and diversity and witnesses to what God has intended for the church. There's a great, really sad example of this taking place in the scriptures. It actually takes place in 1 Kings 12, which I know everyone read this morning. Uh, so 1 Kings chapter 12, what's happened in the story is that Solomon has died. And Solomon's son, Rehoboam, is getting ready to take over, taking over as the king over the United Kingdom of Israel. At the end of his time, Solomon, the great and wise king, actually treated the northern, king, the northern tribes rather poorly. He overtaxed and overworked them in order to provide for all of his building projects, including the temple. And so Rehoboam becomes king. And the tribes for the north, they come to Rehoboam and they say, hey, you know what? This is the way your father ruled us. We're asking that you would give us a break. Could we please not continue with what is going on here? And Rehoboam wisely at this point says, hey, give me three days and then come back. And then Rehoboam goes and he goes to the people that had advised his dad. He goes to his father's friends and he says this. He says to them, or he asks them, what should I do? And they say this to him. He says, if you, Rehoboam, if you will be a servant to this people by answering them and speaking good words today, they replied, then they will be your servants forever. If you listen to them, if you serve them, if you care for them, then they will be your servants. They will be part of your kingdom forever. But Rehoboam ignored the advice the elders gave him. And instead, he sought the counsel of the young advisors who'd grown up with him and now served him. And this is what they said to him. They said, he said, what do you advise? He asked them, how should we respond to these people who've said to me, lighten the workload your father demanded of us? And the young people who'd grown up with him said to him this, this people said to you, your father made our workload heavy, lighten it for us. Now this is what you should say to them. My baby finger is thicker than my father's entire waist. We won't get into that. So if my father made your workload heavy, 
I'll make it even heavier. If my father disciplined you with whips, I'll do it with scorpions. And Rehoboam followed the advice of his friends. And you know what happened? The kingdom split in two. The northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. The entire kingdom split in half. The elders tell him to be humble, to go, to listen, to be kind, to relieve the burden, to serve other people. And friends say, how dare they? They are our enemies. You need to flex your muscles. You need to put this down. You need to stop this before it goes any further. One was wisdom from this world. The other was wisdom from the world to come. I wonder, the people that we seek for wisdom, which group do they sound more alike? When we think about the people that we go to for advice or we go to for wisdom, we go to to kind of figure our way through this world. We're wondering about what to do about this or what to think about this. Which group do they sound more alike? We think about the news programs that we watch or the talk shows that we listen to or the people on our social media feed or the people at our breakfast club in the morning. Is our conversation with them leading us toward more anger or toward more compassion? When we leave hearing what they have to say, do we find ourselves just spewing hate? Or do we find ourselves praying for those who are different than us? Do we find ourselves leaving those kind of moments afraid and self-protective or filled with hope and love and creativity? That's what wisdom from the world to come looks like. He goes on and he says this in James 3.16. He says, for where there is envy and selfishness, there will also be disorder and wickedness of every kind. What of the wisdom from above? This is what the wisdom from above looks like. First, it is pure, then peaceful, gentle, obedient, filled with mercy and good actions. It's fair and it's genuine. This is what wisdom for the world to come looks like. See, wisdom from this world leads to what he says is disorder and wickedness. What actually wisdom from this world does is wisdom from this world creates chaos. That's what it does. But wisdom from the world to come conforms to God's character. It conforms to the very character of God. We actually see this in the very beginning of the scriptures. If you remember the story in Genesis chapter two, where the serpent comes to Adam and Eve in the garden. He comes to them in the garden, and what he initially does is he calls into question God's character, begins to make them wonder whether or not God really wants what's best for them. And then he goes on to suggest to them that there's actually a better way to live. And then he introduces a fruit to them that will make them wise. That's for gaining understanding. They take it for their own gain. They settle for the wisdom of this world and chaos ensues. Everything that God had ordered, we, we see now becomes disordered in the next chapter. Everything starts to be unraveled. Everything gets turned upside down. But wisdom from the world to come actually prioritizes holiness. It prioritizes righteousness. James says, first, it is pure. 
It refuses to compromise with sin. It actually follows the way of the one who ordered the world and, know how it was, and knows how it was designed to work. It maintains allegiance to God. It actually embodies what Glenn talked about a couple weeks ago, that idea of faithful obedience. See, wisdom from this world is all about gain. It's all about self. How can I gain more for me? But wisdom from the world to come is actually about giving. And it's oriented toward others. We can think about it in the the, the arena of finances. Most of the best financial wisdom of the world says gain all you can and save all you can so you can have everything you want. That's what wisdom of the world says about finances. And the scriptures say work hard and live simply and give generously. Give to those who are in need. If you have more of something than you need, give it away. If you have two of something, give it. It leads to generosity, which, of course, reflects the character of God in the world. The wisdom of the world as it relates to relationships says, how much can I get out of this person? What can I get out of this relationship? What can I gain? And the wisdom for the world to come says, how can I serve? How can I love? How can I care? Parents, wisdom from the world says, how do I get these small people to do exactly what I want them to do when I want them to do it, right? It's like the greatest Father's Day gift ever, right? But wisdom from the world to come says, God, who have you made this person to be? How have you made these kids? What do they need right now? What are they trying to ask for that they don't even know how to ask for? How can I help them? How can I listen to them? How can I get down on their level and help them articulate why they're upset? How can I come near to them? Last thing that James says here is this. He says, those who make peace sow the seeds of justice by their peaceful acts. Those who make peace sow the seeds of justice by their peaceful acts. See, the wisdom from this world promotes injustice, but wisdom from the world to come pursues peace. It actually pursues peace. See, wisdom makes peace possible. Peace is wisdom's end goal. It's what wisdom is striving after, but not just any kind of peace, but true peace. What the, what the Hebrew language calls shalom, the idea of a full and flourishing peace, not just simply the absence of conflict or the avoidance of pain, but actually what is the best life, true peace? How do people flourish in community together? How do we live life as God designed and intended it to be? So there's a huge difference between peacekeeping and peacemaking. It's a big difference between the two of them. In order to keep peace, we will often avoid what's difficult. We will avoid anything that's hard. We have phrases like, don't rock the boat, right? Because rocking the boat might get uncomfortable. Rocking the boat might cause us, might actually cost us something. Rocking the boat is a little bit scary. This is the house that I grew up in. Just keep the peace. Try not to rock the boat, because if the boat gets rocked, we don't know what will happen. 
And so you learn in those situations, and many of you can, can relate, to be timid, to be passive, to be afraid, just, wow, well, we're not sure what's gonna happen. A lot of times we find ourselves in that place in life. We're like, can things just go back to the way they were? Can we just try to maintain and keep everything? And we'll settle often for a false peace in our lives. But to make true peace, we have to actually confront problems and deal with injustice. True peace doesn't settle for what's false. True peacemaking actually requires some things from us. It requires that we draw near to listen and to learn and not just distance ourselves. It requires drawing near, being close to what's going on. Peacemaking actually requires that we hold righteousness and justice and peace all together. That says we, we can't actually have true peace without righteousness and justice. And we can't actually have true justice without peace and righteousness. See, what happens is if you pull on any one of them too hard, it'll actually distort the others. Or if you neglect any of them, it will distort them as well. We actually have to think about how do justice and righteousness go together because that leads us to peace. They all belong together together. We cannot neglect any of them. And peacemaking also requires sacrifice. Peacemaking actually costs something. At the very least, peacemaking costs us our need, our desire for revenge. It requires that we say, I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. It requires that. And sometimes it even goes to the place of requiring us to be willing to endure injustice in order to bring it to other people. To endure injustice in order to bring justice to other people. And the people of God can do that because we have the knowledge that injustice in this world will not last forever. That there will be a day that comes that Christ will return and make everything right again. Peacemaking requires that we draw near. It requires that we hold justice and righteousness together and it requires sacrifice. And we know that because this is actually what Jesus has done for us. That we think about the gospel story, Jesus is the one who humbled himself and drew near. Jesus is the one who lived a righteous life in order to make peace between us and God and between us and one another, in order to establish justice on the earth, in order to deal with sin and death and the grave, he went to the cross. He endured injustice for our sake. He gave himself away. He did everything he could to make peace for us. And injustice of the cross did not have the final word in Jesus's life. For three days later, God, his father, raised him from the dead. And that is the great hope that we have in all of the situations we find ourselves. When we follow the wisdom of the world to come, we know that we follow that because that world is the world that lasts. This world's is a world that desperately needs to be renewed and resurrected and recreated, and Christ will come to do that. But we live now like we will then. And Jesus has paved the way for us. Friends, we're gonna come to the table tonight, 
And on your way in, you should have hopefully received a little packet of a pre-packaged cracker and a shot glass of juice. So if you would grab those, if you could find them wherever you're at, you might wanna start to peel those as Pastor Glenn comes to lead us in communion. You peel off the top layer to get to the cracker and then another layer to get to the juice. But as Pastor Glenn comes, let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank you that you are the wise one, that you are the one who ordered the world and that we come to you for wisdom. You're the one who ordered everything. You know how it was meant to be, and you know how it will be when you come again. And so with great humility, we come to you and ask you to teach us and show us the way of Jesus. Teach us, show us, help us. In your holy name we pray, amen.